We are going to face tragedy in our lives. Hard stuff will come. It is not a possibility. It's a guarantee. I'm starting the podcast off on a really positive note, aren't I? (laughs) But let's just face it. We all know it's the truth. Hard stuff is going to happen. Tragedy is going to come our way. Obviously, everyone's life and situations are going to be different. And yes, sometimes people will face unimaginable, unthinkable situations and others won't face the same things. And it all seems unfair. And we all have questions as to why these bad things happen. And I don't pretend to have all the answers. I do know that we live in a broken world. But as a person of faith, I know that Jesus said that in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart because he has overcome the world. We don't have to let tragedy define us. But it's what we do with the outcome of that tragedy that can define us. And my guest today took an unimaginable, world-shattering tragedy, one that even the world saw, and she used it for good. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Amy Downs. She is the CEO of Allegiance Credit Union, formerly known as Federal Employees Credit Union in Oklahoma City, which lost more than half of its employees in the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, the deadliest domestic terror attack in our nation's history. In the years since the bombing, Amy became a mother, lost over 200 pounds, competed in an Ironman triathlon, obtained her MBA, and became the CEO of the same credit union that was bombed. Though an inspirational subject in national and local media for more than two decades, Amy's message has shifted from her survival of the bombing to her radical transformation in the aftermath. Amy lives in Oklahoma City and is a frequent speaker across the country. Let me tell you, I was blown away by Amy's story. She was an absolute gift to have on the show. And she is the type of person that is going to leave you feeling encouraged and challenged and inspired. And you're going to want to take on the world. And she's just the kind of person who you just feel better after leaving her presence. She has just an unbelievable sense of purpose and of self. And I loved this conversation. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had this year, and I know that you are going to love it too. But before we get to my conversation with Amy, I just want to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. It's time for a spring clean refresh. Let's get that home sparkling the safe way with Mama Suds. Castile soap is the superhero of soaps. It does really all of the things from the windows to the walls. No? Okay. Uh, It's truly, but for real, it's truly the only soap you need. So what can you do with Mama Suds Castile soap? 
clean the floors, scrub the counters, bathtubs, tile, clean the baseboards, the windows, the blinds. You can even use it to clean the carpets. Just grab a gallon of Mama Suds Castile Soap and start tackling all of your spring cleaning to-dos at mamasuds.com. And don't forget to use the coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. All right, without further ado, on to my conversation with Amy Downs. Amy, I am so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. It is an absolute honor. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, you have, you know, there are, I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of people over the years, and I come across people every now and then, um, and I go, I want to just sit and listen to this person (laughs) tell me their story. And um, you are just one of those people who uh, you have an incredible story and and a really powerful story of how God has worked miracles in your life. And so uh, let's dive right into it. So tell us who you are, the Amy Downs 101, who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today. All right. Well, Amy Downs 101, I'm 53 years old. I am the CEO of a credit union, which is a financial institution. And I also have a side hustle where I wrote a book and I speak and I'm a cyclist. I love riding my bike. I love adventure. I feel like I'm still 25 in my head. So I'm really struggling at this point in my life of looking at the person in the mirror and thinking, who is this? Because that's not me. So <laughs> I have that same at, struggle. Right? So y- you are not alone. I still think yeah. I'm like 21. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I, you know, um, I've had an unusual life experience in yeah. that I survived um, the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. Hmm. And that really just changed my life, obviously, but in, in, a, in a lot of ways, like it just, it was like, I had this incredible come to Jesus meeting that I haven't been able to shake for the rest of my life. Mm. So I feel like I'm living on borrowed time. So your blog about purpose, no matter what business you're in, no matter what you're doing, I so believe in this. It is so true. Yeah. There is a purpose for you I don't care what it is, what business it is that you're doing. You can find that in that. Even if you're not the entrepreneur or the owner, you can find it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, very few times, it, it's, I should say, it's a, incredibly rare that we have those types of come to Jesus meetings. And, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, if you found out that you only had, you know, a day left to live or a month left to live, like what what would you do with your life? And in a lot of ways, you got a second chance. So on that just horrific day of April 19th, 1995, your life looked very, very different than it does now. So can you kind of take us back to the beginning of who you were at that point and Walk us through the events of that that day. Now, to do that, I kind of need to take you back to 1989, actually. So in 1989, I had amazing hair. Like (laughs) I saw the picture of your hair in in, on your website. Mine was better because (laughs) hair like was huge. So I had bangs that would like reach out and grab you like the minute you walked in the room. Awesome hair. The bigger the hair, the closer to God. (laughs) Yeah, right. That was about the only great thing I had going for me because I had flunked out of college. I couldn't pass the remedial math class, not even the one you get credit hours for, but 
the one you have to take before they let you take the real one. I flunked it twice, dropped out of college, really was just floundering. I'm not knowing like what to do in my life and ended up moving to Oklahoma City because my sister lived here. And I thought, you know what, with my amazing math skills, I'm going to get a job as a teller at a financial institution. That just made sense. So I ended up getting a job, applying, getting a job, working in the federal building in downtown Oklahoma City as a teller. Hmm. Um, When I was hired, I remember the CEO asked, came in during the interview and said, oh, is this who's applying for the new teller position? And, you know, I said, yes. And she said, oh, what's your birthday? Now, everybody in business knows you cannot ask someone's birthday in an interview nowadays. That's illegal. But I told her and she said, oh, you're an Aries. Now, I didn't even know what Aries meant. I grew up like horoscope was evil. I didn't know what that was. She was like, we need to hire her. We need another Aries. So literally my qualifications for the job were my horoscope. (laughs) So I had been working at this credit union for seven years. And it really was probably the only thing that had any, any bit of purpose in my life. Um, because we, our mission was people helping people and trying to serve the people and help them with their financial problems, the people who worked in this building. So, um, April 19th, 1995 was just a regular normal day. You know, you're, it was a spring day in Oklahoma, go to work, nothing particularly special about it. And really at that point in my life, other than work, giving me some amount of purpose, I really was just floating along. Like I had gained 200 pounds. My personal life was a bit of a mess. I would just kind of wake up, go to work, come home, watch TV, eat, go to bed, repeat the next day. Yeah. So the morning of April 19th, 1995, I was sitting at my desk, which was on the third floor, just a few feet away from the front glass windows of the Murrah building. One of my coworkers came in and sat down right beside me. She was seven months pregnant. I remember turning to ask her what she needed And I don't know if the words even came out of my mouth because that's when the bomb went off. (laughs) So there was a bomb that that um, was set off from a rider truck at street level. I'm on the third floor. And um, but I had no idea that's what had happened. I just knew all of a sudden everything went dark. I could hear people screaming all around me. I remember hearing this woman just screaming right in my ear. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And then like a second later, me realizing that was, that's me. That's my voice. Like my, I didn't even recognize the sound of my own voice. That's how terrified I was. And I felt like I was falling and I was, I found out later I was falling. I fell three floors and I was buried under 10 feet of rubble and just all the noise and the screaming stopped. Like it's, it just stopped and it was quiet. And I remember laying there thinking, am I dead or alive? Like I, it was dark. I remember like straining to open my eyes to see something and I could, it was black and I would close my eyes and it was black and it was really hot. And there was this awful smell. It was really hard to breathe. And I remember, you know, I grew up in the eighties and this is the time frame where um, in youth group, like they would scare you a lot about like, you better keep your life straight or, you, you know, you're not going to heaven, you know? Yeah. And I remember like, I had kind of been living, I don't know, you know, I kind of walked away a bit from having a daily relationship with God. And I remember thinking for a split second, like, where am I? 
And am I alive or what, you know? And then I heard a siren going off in the distance and I thought, okay, I'm still alive. I hear the siren going off. And I just, you know, I just, I mean, the moment the bomb went off, I was just praying, Jesus, help me. And I just, I kept praying that same prayer, just Jesus, help me, you know? And there was about 45 minutes that went by before I actually heard voices and they were men. They said, uh, I could hear them in the background saying, okay, this is where the daycare babies are. Let's split up. Let's look for the babies. And I was really confused by that because I, again, I worked on the third floor. The daycare was on the second floor. And I had no understanding that the building had fallen and that I was at the bottom of what was once this nine story building. Right. But I started screaming my head off at that point, you know, and and I remember I heard the guy go, I hear you. I hear you, child. How old are you? And I remember I didn't answer right away. I was like two, you know, I I wasn't sure if I told him I was 28, if he was going to come get me. So I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm 28. And he was like, that's okay. That's okay. We have a live one. We have a live one. I need backup. And he started hollering for help. And he said, we can't see you. We have to follow the sound of your voice. Keep talking to us. And so they, we kept talking and they made their way to try to figure out where I was because they couldn't see me because I was, I was buried alive. Yeah. I mean, and you weren't even just buried alive. You were buried alive upside down. Yeah. I was upside down, still in my chair. My right hand was sticking out of the side of this rubble pile. So as they got close to me, that one of them kind of brushed my hand. And I said, I think that's me. I think you have my hand. I think that's my hand. And he said, okay, what color shirt do you have on? And I was like, uh, I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> and he's like, think, what color shirt do you have on? And I'm like, uh, green. I was trying to remember what I put on that morning. And as soon as I said green, I felt pressure of hands and grabbing me. And they, I thought, you know, one, two, three, they're going to pull me out. Like I didn't know how bad off I was. So I'm thinking, oh, they've got me. They've got my arm. Like one, two, three, like let's go. And about the time they found my arm, I hear men in the background yelling, they found another bomb. They found another bomb. We've everybody let's go. We've got to get out. They found another bomb. And I'm realizing now, you know, what had happened, that it had been a bomb. Yeah. And there's another one and they can't get me out. So the, the men started trying to just talk over all this commotion and they were like, Amy, we'll be right back. We've just got to get some more hydraulic equipment. We're going to be right back. And I just started telling them my name over and over again, tell my family I love them because I knew, I knew this is it. Like, this is it. And they left. And at that point, you know, I am literally buried alive. I cannot move. Mm. I can do nothing, like nothing. And all I can do is think about, I'm getting ready to die at 28 years old. And I'm realizing that I've actually never lived. I've not lived with purpose. I've not done anything intentionally. I've just been floating. Like I'm getting ready to, you know, answer for how I've spent my time on earth. And like, I'm just, it was, it was a, just a horrible, like the regret was just, I can't explain it. So um, I laid there and I just, I, I prayed. Yeah. If you can call it praying. 
because it kind of transformed from the Jesus help me to the bargaining thing. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus, if you'll get me out of here, I will never like sin again. Like I'll, I'll go to a developing country. Like I'll become a nun, <laughs> like, I'll, you know, like desperate, like wild, like just please. I want a second chance. I will do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember trying to remember a scripture because I, I grew up in church and I remember in children's church, I don't know if they still do this, but they would always give you candy if you could tell them the, you know, the scripture, which <laughs> I think maybe had something to do with the weight problem. But anyway, um, so I remember trying to remember, I remember saying, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and I could not remember that scripture. And, and I remember I was laying there thinking like some six sense of humor, you know, I'm just like, well, that's just real good. I am in the valley of the shadow of death. And like, yeah. I don't even know what comes next. Like literally, I don't know what comes next. I don't know what comes next on the scripture. I can't even remember it. Yeah. And um, as I just saw my life flashing before my eyes and such realization of, of how, what, I, what was really important, right. you know, my relationship with God, friends, family, like helping people, like all of that. I, uh, did this really weird thing. And that is um, a song popped into my head that we used to sing in church growing up. And I started to sing mm-hmm. and I don't sing very well. So I'm not going to sing for you or anything. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, unless I'm in my car and I'm like amazing if I'm on my car. Oh yeah. The car or the shower. Oh, Both places. You sound so good. Everybody Oh my does. gosh. I was singing to me and Disa this morning in the shower. So <laughs> loud, man. Anyway, but yeah, so I started to sing this song, which was just a praise and worship song from back in the day. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Yeah. Because that's all I could do. But, you know, the thing is that when there's nothing else we can do, which a lot of us are in that boat right now. I mean, a lot of businesses are struggling. Yeah. A lot of us are struggling personally during this season of COVID. Yeah. And there's not a lot we have agency over. You know, there's, we, we have agency over a lot. I, I do believe we have agency over a lot. But there are times sometimes in our lives where we don't have agency over anything. Like we literally are buried alive and we can't move. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do. But then there was something I could do. And that was to get my eyes off of my situation, get my eyes on God. And when I began to sing that song, I felt peace. Mm. And I knew I was going to be okay. I did not know I was going to be, I was going to make it out alive. I didn't know that, but I was at peace and I was okay with what was going to happen next. And all of this was about a 45 minute uh, time period. And there was not a second bomb, which of course is why I'm with you today. Um, And they came back and they started working to get me out. And it took them six and a half hours to actually get me out. (sighs) You describe that peace, and the only thing I can think of is just that peace that surpasses all understanding. Exactly. It's a peace that doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. to anybody else. You know, thinking about the fact that you were buried upside down under 10 feet of rubble, you just experienced a bomb, couldn't see, didn't know what was going on, didn't know if you were going to survive, and there you were, you had peace. Mm -hmm. And that is such a beautiful picture of what the Lord can do for us. It's funny. um, I'm actually right in the middle of, um, in my kind of going through the Bible in a year reading, I'm in Job. And just this morning, you know, there's a, a, that 
famous scripture that Job cries out where he's in the midst of just torment and just experiencing unimaginable suffering. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And that just this morning in particular really stuck out to me just thinking about like, if I was in Job's shoes, could I say that? I hope I would. <laughs> um, and so that's that's so much of what I hear you saying is just knowing mm-hmm. in that in that moment and having that that opportunity to to kind of wrestle with God even in the midst of this just unimaginable situation. And so right. uh, you know, you described it took six and a half hours for them to get you out. What was that that time like? And then kind of the immediate aftermath. Mm-hmm. And then when you realized I'm going to survive this. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Well, the during the the six and a half hours, um, the area where I was at was really unstable. So they kept having to consult with an emergency physician about amputating my leg. Mm-hmm. And in order to get them all out safely, because these men were risking their lives in a very unstable area, the wind was blowing, there were pieces of, you know, uh, concrete and stuff just kind of dangling and it was dangerous, but they kept working to get me out in one piece. And I, I heard all this. I could tell what was going on. Um, I couldn't see anything the whole time I was upside down, you know, buried this whole time. But I remember I kept saying to them, hey, you know, if you guys need to chop something off to get me out, like chop it off. Like, you know, it was just crazy. I mean, that just sounds crazy, but it's like the when you want to live, yeah. like you're desperate, you want to live. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the six and a half hours, um, you know, I remember they said, okay, we're going to count to three. This is you know, probably going to hurt. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't care. Do what you got to do. And they pulled and I came out from the rubble for the first time. Mm. And I remember looking around and just thinking, this isn't real. This looks like something out of a movie. Yeah, Like this, I c- could literally not believe what I was seeing with my eyes. And they put me on the back of a gurney and they took me out of the back of the federal building. I didn't know what my injuries were, and I didn't know about my friends. I, I really wasn't sure. Um, everything hurt, and I couldn't move, really. I was just on this gurney, like, looking straight up at the sky. It had been this beautiful spring morning when I'd gone to work. Well, now it was gray and dark and cold. It looked like the middle of winter, and it was starting to rain. But I'll never forget looking up at the sky, taking that first breath of fresh air and promising God, I will never live my life the same. Hmm. And I, I wasn't, I still was hundred percent sure. Like, am I going to live? Am I going to, you know, but I, I just knew like, if I make it, I'm, I'm not living my life the same. And they took me to an ambulance. Um, and I remember the nurse came to me and uh, there was a male nurse and he said, um, you know, when's the last time you've had your tetanus shot? <laughs> and like, I hate needles. I'm scared of shots. <laughs> I, that is when I fell apart. I started bawling and crying <laughs> like in the South, we call it a hissy fit. Like, I'm freaking out. And I remember this man, he just looked at me, his eyes got really big and he goes, girl, you mean to tell me you've been trapped up in this building all this time and now you're scared of a shot? And I'm like, yes. You know? <laughs> and he goes, he's like, I'm not giving it to you. I'm getting my supervisor. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that's when I lost it. And so uh, they took me to the hospital and I was in the hospital eight days Hmm. and would find out one by one that 18 of my 33 coworkers were killed. Hmm. And those were my friends. That was my, that was my social group. That was, 
you know, and so that was a very difficult time. And I remember, I remember one particular day in the hospital, um, I got a phone call. Well, I get, we get phone calls to the room, a lot of family members of the people I worked with asking, did I remember what, so who, what was somebody wearing? Hmm. And I, I couldn't, I mean, I could barely remember that I had on a green shirt. I didn't yeah. remember what anybody was wearing. Yeah. And I remember the morning of the bombing, I had talked to one of my friends, Christy, and I couldn't remember what she had on. And she had five kids and, you know, really involved in her church, just a wonderful person. And I couldn't tell them what she was wearing. And it just felt awful because I sat there and talked to her and didn't know what she had on. Yeah. And uh, I remember um, the last day when I was in the hospital, um, I had a best friend at work. You know, a lot of times at work, we have a work buddy, you know, and my work buddy, Sonia, she had two and three-year-old baby girls at home and they'd found her body on, I think it was like day eight. Mm. And I just found out they'd found her body. And I remember I was just, you know, sobbing, just crying. And it was uh, the middle of the day. And I remember looking out of the window at the hospital and seeing the cars in the middle of the day with their headlights on. And, you know, back then you had to manually turn those things on. That, that wasn't automatic. Right. And people were doing that on purpose a week later, driving around with their headlights on as a symbol of love and of hope. Hmm. And as I looked at those car headlights, I think that was a moment where I thought, even though I was in such sorrow, I just had to believe that there was hope yeah, and that, that God was going to help get us through this. Wow. Wow. And so you got out of the hospital and you really did. I mean, when you, you are such an amazing testament to you kept your word to the Lord. You said, I'm not going to live my life the same. And you're not going to live. You, you haven't lived your life the same. Uh, today in 2021, you are the CEO of that exact credit union that you were once a teller of in 1995. Right. And, and- it's unbelievable. You know, I'd like to say, like, cue the Rocky music. Like, I came out of the <laughs> hospital and it was dun, 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 you know, and I just, man, I started going. But I think it's really important to say that there were there were some years there where nothing happened. Hmm. Like, so it, I think that's important because I think a lot of us have something that's revealed to us yeah. that we want, that we desire, or that we want to be different. We want to be this other person, but we don't know how to take the first steps. And that's how I was at first. At first, there was this, I know I want to be different, but I had so much emotional trauma and physical trauma that I didn't even know, I didn't even know what to do. The only thing though, was I just didn't let go of that belief of that thought. And I just kept going back to that. And what is one thing I can do today? What is one thing I can do today? Like just the smallest little things that I would try to do. And um, the you know, first thing was, you know, spiritually, yeah. you know, I began praying every day. And that's made you would be like, well, big deal. Like we all pray. Well, no, it was a big deal to me. Like well, it's a big deal. it may be just be like a couple of minutes, but I began intentionally, like just intentionally, like trying to, to, we call it pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, in Oklahoma, like just doing that. And what I discovered actually through business, it was actually through business um, because our business was destroyed 
like we were a small financial institution that was formed to serve people in a building and that building is gone now. Mm-hmm. And there was no building that was going to be replaced for many years. Yeah. Plus we lost over half our staff. Right. How does a business survive losing over half your staff, your business model, your location, your only location? Not only that, our location was free because we were there for those people. So now we got to pay for a location. I mean, it was like we could have gone under. Yeah. And we had to work really hard to not go under and figure out how to survive. So I learned through business this idea of setting goals, action steps, you know, that we all do in our businesses, right? And it was one day my boss, the CEO at the time, said to me, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? She was talking about work. And I know magic, Christianity doesn't all, you know, I I grew up also where you don't say the magic word. But (laughs) That, that magic wand, though, like we've all read fairy tales, we've all, you know, that gave me a visual, though, of like, if you had a magic wand, and I remember I was hesitant, but she said, no, you've got a magic wand, you can say whatever you want. So she basically gave me freedom to express what I would do if I had this magic wand. And we had had to hire a whole lot of employees really fast. There was a lot of our culture wasn't the best. And so I just started rattling off like we would had this great culture. We do all, you know. And at the end of that, she said, okay, I want you to figure out in your situation, given your limitations, okay, I wasn't management yet. So in your role, given your limitations, what is the smallest thing that you can do to move forward? Hmm. And I remember walking away from that conversation thinking, what just happened? Yeah. Like, I'm CEO, and now all of a sudden, like, but it was exciting because what she gave me was hope. Because yes. what hope is is really seeing something, a better, brighter future, and believing that you play a role in helping get there. Mm. And all of a sudden, I had agency over something I could do to move toward that direction. And so I started a process of asking myself all the time. I do it every morning. I journal with it. I write, what are my magic wand thoughts? You know, and they Mm. may range some days from, you know, I remember during COVID, I was like being kind of sarcastic with myself. I was like, well, a fairy uh, would appear in my living room with hair coloring and cut my hair and color it. And, you know, but then I'll, I'll, so then I backtrack into, okay, given your current situation, your current limitations, what is one thing you can do? Well, I can Google YouTube how to color your hair, you know? And so that's what would happen. And I took that and I went from 355 pounds to completing an Ironman triathlon when I turned 50, which is a 2.4 mile swim followed by a 112 mile bike ride by a 26.2 marathon all in a certain time frame to be declared an Ironman. And I went back to school and I got my degree and I got my master's and I became the CEO. And I just, you know, and then I wrote a book and then I started speaking, you know, I just, it was yeah. like, I kept thinking, what is, what's my purpose? It, it was purpose that I was searching for, right? Yeah. Like what's my purpose? And that's evolved and changed in different areas of my life and different times, what that means. You know, there's there, I hear that there was sort of that, that magic wand moment was in a lot of ways, the beginning of sort of a mindset shift for you. And I, it's funny because I actually, um, a friend of mine, uh, Liz Bohannon, she is actually the first one who ever introduced me to the magic wand 
concept. And she is the CEO of a company called Seiko Designs. And she does this with their staff. And they sit in their magic wand meetings. And they all have to, but she adds a really fun flair to it where everybody has to hold up a like fake magic wand. And then um, like, after they say something, everybody in the room has to go, ooh. Yes, she, okay, y'all can't see, but Amy just pulled out a legit magic wand and it makes me so happy. It is, it's is that Rapunzel? Disney, yeah, it's a Disney princess. I don't even know which Disney princess Yeah, it's princess Rapunzel. It is, I see it. I like magic it. Wand. I love it. Yeah, and so, and then everybody is like, ooh. It just, you can't, there can't be any ifs, ands, or buts. Like, it's just, mm. yes, this is awesome. And, yes. um, you know, and so we've, my husband and I, we, we don't do the magic wand thing because he, he would look at me like I'm crazy, but we have similar conversations. <laughs> and, you know, right. I've talked to my kids about that, but it really does begin to kind of just change that mindset. And so that was a big um, mindset shift for you. And how has that continued to shift for you over the years, you know, over the last, what, 25 years at this point? Well, it, it gets you clarity. So by asking yourself over and over again, you start to begin getting clear on your purpose, right? right? So, so you know, okay, I told you I stumbled into this teller job, right? My horoscope <laughs> got me the teller job. My math skills are terrible. They still are, even though I was able to get my MBA. And honestly, it doesn't light my fire. Like, I don't, I don't like math. I don't like spreadsheets. Well, I'm the CEO of a financial institution. How does that work? <laughs> so I had to really figure out what does light my fire? What is my purpose? Like, how do I find purpose working at a place that if I had it to do all over again, probably wouldn't be my, you know, track. Yeah. I'm more of a creative type. I'm more like, so what do I do with that? Well, what does light my fire where I do find purpose is in helping people. Mm. It's really important to me. Well, now I'm the CEO, so I'm not helping our members, our clients anymore. Right. But what I can do is I can help our supervisors become better supervisors so that the employees who work for them don't dread their jobs. Yeah. Because we know that people don't usually leave organizations. They leave a bad boss. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of, of, of bad bosses out there that don't know they're bad. They just learned from the person before them. They, they just don't know better. Yep. And so if I can teach, if I can learn and I can teach people how to lead better, that's how I can help. And I get really excited about that. Yeah. Oh, that is such a great point. I think about like jobs I've had where <laughs> I'm just like, a lot of times I didn't leave the organization. I left the bad boss. Um, and sometimes I just left because, you know, it was time to leave. But um, yeah, that's I mean, that is such a clear, um, you know, leadership is so key. Leadership mm -hmm. is so key. And to have a strong leader and somebody who is a, a good leader and sees value in their people is is really such an incredible gift to to people to others. So you wrote a book, which is amazing. Congratulations on birthing your book, baby. That's a really big yes. deal. So it's called Hope is a Verb. And can you kind of walk through the journey to writing this book and what you what your prayer for it is now that it's kind of out into the world? Yeah. So Hope is a Verb was a 10-year project. Mm. I knew I had a message. I knew in my heart there is a reason. I, I read The Purpose Driven Life. When I read that book, I thought what I have been through can somehow help someone. Yeah. I just know it. But I couldn't get clear on what the message of the book was. So I kept struggling every time I would try to write this book. 
And I had lots of wonderful, talented writers helping me, but I couldn't figure out what is the message? Is the message about, oh, how great Amy is? Like I couldn't get comfortable about what is it I'm really trying to say here? And one day my nephew and I were talking over Thanksgiving and I had no idea that he, he was an attorney, but he had also gone back to school to get his creative writing master's degree. And so we start talking about this and he's got such incredible insight And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, I think he's the one that's supposed to help me with this. And I said something to him about it. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'll hook you up with somebody. I'm not whatever. And I said, well, just meet me for lunch and just help me, like direct me, whatever. And the morning we were supposed to go to lunch, he said in his prayer time that morning, he had been struggling because he was trying to write a book and he was hitting like a writer's block and couldn't write. And he said when he was praying that morning, he said he just all of a sudden felt in his heart like you need to write Amy's book. And so when he walked into the day to meet me for lunch, he walked in, he sat in the booth, he just slid in and looked at me. And I looked at him and he goes, I'm supposed to write this book. And I go, yeah, I know. And he goes, oh, and I'm like, oh, I know. (laughs) Because I was was in a process with somebody else. Like there were some complications about how we were even going to do it. So that began a year long journey of he and I connecting every weekend and talking and even riding our bikes together, flushing out, what are we really wanting people, what, what is it that can help other people? And so we went full circle from it being a preachy, churchy Sunday school book to the book we really reined back on It's not overly um, in your face at all about my relationship with God. Yeah. Um, But what's interesting is people, they pick up on it. But the the idea is I didn't want people to get tripped up and like, oh, I don't know if I believe in that theology or whatever. Like, I just wanted to tell the story. Like, life is messy. All of us have these messy lives. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is, how many of us can look back over something horrible in our life and maybe it's a divorce, maybe yeah. it's, you know, whatever. And you look back though, and you say, you know, if that thing hadn't happened to me, this other thing wouldn't have happened. Yep. And it's not that you want that bad thing to happen. But my moment of reckoning was when my son walked in the living room one morning and said, hey, mama, if the bombing hadn't happened, like I wouldn't be here. Because one of the, my regrets was that I'd never had a child. Mm. And I remember the minute he said that, I was like, oh, no, like I was, you know, it was one of those wash your mouth out with soap kind of things. Yeah. Because that disturbed me because my friends were killed. Like, how dare you say, you know, if this hadn't happened, then I wouldn't be like, almost like it's a good thing. And I wrestled with that for such a long time. And I thought, you know what we all do? Because oh, if you yeah. look back over your life, there's bad things. And, you, you know, um, and it doesn't mean you, you, know, you would trade, you would trade the bad thing happening. But at the end of the day, depending on how you responded to that, your life might not be where it is today if you hadn't walked through that. And so one of the phrases I say in the, in the very last sentence of the book is praise the fire that burns, mm-hmm. you know, and it's God, I think, refining us through these times we walk through and we don't understand them. And it's not that he caused them or anything like yeah. that, but I just believe that there is something in us that grows and learns and we're able to help other people as we walk through these struggles in life. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the book. I mean, that's, we just, we wanted people to see a, it's very vulnerable. It's very, um, I, I I had such anxiety the night before I knew it was going to be ready on Amazon. I feel like I'm stepping on stage and taking off all my clothes. I mean, (laughs) I hear that a lot from writers. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really real. And, but I thought, you know what, I don't care. Let somebody see this mess because maybe what they'll see in this is, oh my gosh, if this girl can get a hold of her life, if this girl can start changing stuff at age 40, do an Ironman at 50, like, you know, maybe I can do something. So I wanted to be that encouragement to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you speak to the question that so many people wrestle with and whether they call themselves a Christian or don't is this idea and this question of why does God allow suffering? And it's probably arguably one of the most commonly asked and struggled and wrestled with questions. And I don't claim to have the answer. None of us have the clear answer. But the thing that I, you know, I kind of myself speak to is I wouldn't be where I am today had I not been through some of the really terrible suffering that I went through in my life and how there are so many things that I look back on that as awful as they were, they taught me so much and I changed through those things and I was able to then share my story with other people and I would not be the person I am today had I not been through those just horrific things. And in addition, people yeah. wouldn't be able to hear you. Yep. Like, you know, the song Speak Life, mm-hmm. Speak Life to the Brokenhearted. Okay. You can't speak life to the brokenhearted if you haven't been brokenhearted. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So, oh, what yeah. you've been through, you're able to reach out and help people in a way, you know, that maybe somebody else can't because of what you have walked through specifically that you can speak to someone about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, your story is a gift. You know, what you've walked through is something that you're now able to share and share the, I mean, how crazy does it sound to even say the sentence, but the good that came out of that and the change that came out of that and God using something that is just awful and unimaginable and nobody wants it to happen. God doesn't want these things to happen, but you know, there's so many times throughout the scriptures where God just reminds us over and over and over again that the suffering will come, but take heart. Like I've overcome the world. I have defeated whatever it is. And we know the end of the story and as difficult it is as it is to go through it at the time, like it's just, it's what we do with that experience that matters. Now, if you're okay with me asking this, because this is a topic that uh, I don't think gets talked about enough, um, but is one that is near and dear to my heart. And that is um, the topic of coping with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my mom was a, a Vietnam veteran. Uh, she served from 1969 to 1970. And until the day she died um, in 2002, she suffered from PTSD. And, you know, when she came back from the war, in the 70s, PTSD was not something that people spoke about. And she, I mean, she had such PTSD that in the years that she went to therapy immediately following the war, she did not even tell her therapist that she had served in Nam. That's how deep the PTSD was. And so, you know, and I remember being a young person watching my mom sometimes have these episodes. And there's one that always kind of sticks out in my head of <laughs> this day. This ages me just a little. Uh, but my mom took me and my friends to an NSYNC concert. And <laughs> it was a really awesome NSYNC concert. And <laughs> um, I remember very vividly, it was me and my four best friends. 
and my mom, and she had taken us to this NSYNC concert. And if y'all, those who remember NSYNC from those days, their concerts had a lot of fireworks and lights and, you know, loud sounds. And we weren't 15 minutes into NSYNC being on stage and some fireworks went off and me and my friends were dancing and singing. And the next thing I know, I can't find my mom. I could not find her. Uh, did not know where she was. Um, she was also not very mobile. She had um, crutches and things like that. And so I knew she couldn't have gone far. So I immediately left my seat and I'm going out. We were in this big, like, um, it was the MCI Center at the time. It's like where the Washington Wizards play in DC. And so I kind of went out through the the little tunnel and found her like on the floor by the um, the concession stand in the fetal position. And she didn't know where she was. And I'm 15. And I I didn't know what to do. And um, that's, you know, sadly, she died two years later. And so I didn't have as much time to really begin to understand this topic. And so I, I kind of I say all that and set this up because this is I know something that you talk about um, is coping with PTSD, how to move forward. And so kind of sharing with us a little bit about that, but also how family members and friends of people who are suffering from PTSD can kind of better support and walk alongside those people. You know, I, rem- I remember when I went to counseling and had, I didn't know there was a name for it. Yeah. And th- we were the, you know, this was the first big, you know, act of domestic terrorism um, in the United States at that time. Yeah. So there really weren't a lot of people there wasn't anybody to say, oh my gosh, like I survived this shooting. Here's what you're going to go through here. Like nobody knew. So all they could do would be to compare us to people who served in the military. Yeah. And I remember later thinking, wow, like I went through six and a half hours of something. They went through years, years of this. So, you know, that just you know, blew me away to think about like what I'm dealing with was resulted from a few hours, but they went through it for years. Mm -hmm. So my heart really goes out to our, you know, servicemen and women who have been through really difficult times Mm -hmm. and seasons, you know, with war and, and everything, but I still struggle with that too. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it goes everywhere from, okay, my son is, uh, he plays drums. He plays the tenors in the OU pride of um, Oklahoma. And before COVID hit, you know, you could go to the game and and watch them. And I remember I went to one of his games. I was so excited and I'm in the stands and I'm not a football fan. My husband and I don't watch football. I have no idea. They do explosives at football games. Hmm. It's the first football game I've ever been to. I'm in the stands and all of a sudden, and we're crammed in and I already get nervous if I'm in a big location with a lot of people, because I have to really push away the thoughts that, oh, this would be a great place to blow people up. Like mm, I, I have to just really yeah. push that away. And so, but then the explosive goes off and I'm just, I'm done. Like I just, I'm, I, I, I gotta leave. Like I, I need to leave now. I have to leave. So that, that mm. is in my son, he understands. So later I was like, honey, I can't, like I'll go do the pregame. They have like a pregame parade and then they practice the song outside. And I'm like, I will do all of that. I just am not in a place to go into that right now. And he gets it. And then about, um, about two years ago, we, they built a golf course behind our house and I was in the kitchen and all this, I remember hearing like glass shattering. I remember hearing like an explosion in glass. And the next thing I remember, I was, I was outside. I was yelling at some guy holding 
a golf ball out on the golf course. And my husband was kind of putting his arm around me, trying to like pull me back into the, like walk me back into the house. Yeah. And I, so when you talk about her blacking out, I can kind of identify with that because I'm not sure if I black, I don't know what happened, but I have no memory from hearing the explosion to them being outside yelling. I don't know what happened in between there. Yeah. So in this far as family and friends, um, you know, patience is the word that comes to my mind is just patience. Like, so, and I think this applies to a lot of people, not just people who have been through something violent. Like, you know, if you've experienced um, a death of a child or a spouse or something, and like, say it's in spring, well, you know, when the trees start blooming and things are, that's very powerful. And every year you will go through a period a struggle during that period. That's part of PTSD. Every single spring I go through, we call it the April funk. And those of us that survived, we go through a really emotional, edgy, like weird time. Yeah. And thankfully having family members with a lot of patients or people that are close to us that know if we snap, if we get on edge, if we get on, they can kind of go, oh yeah, this is March. Like this is, you know, they know like this is the time frame, and to just have that patience because mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Love us through understanding and not having that. My gosh, it's been 25 years. You know, can't you get over it? It's not quite that easy. And so it's, it's just having that patience to just understand this is a thing we go through. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a, that's such great advice. And, um, something that was, you know, that's something that I had to kind of learn the hard way. Um, and, uh, but I think is really valuable. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that because, and, and just the way that you so vulnerably share your story, um, is just helping so many people. So thank you so much for that. Well, here we are in 2021. What is on the horizon for you this year? Well, uh, so my magic wand thought was, um, I am tired of having knees that don't work right for me. Me so too. It's from the running. <laughs> it's actually from being, you know, 355 pounds for 20 years. Mm. So I decided to take control of my health, which meant my knees. So I am actually five weeks post-op from a double total knee replacement. Wow. So right now I'm not running any marathons. But I can walk for, yesterday I walked for 10 minutes on a treadmill. So I am, that's my goal this year is to work through and get back up to where I can do some hiking. And um, every year we ride our bike across Oklahoma. That's a big um, event we have. But my next, I would say my next big, um, big thing is I want to ride my bike across the United States. That's awesome. I've got to wait for a season for that to fit in because I'm the CEO of a a company. So I need to wait for a season. And that's that season's not right right now with COVID and everything. So I'm going to I'm watching and and kind of waiting for that. But that'll be my next big thing. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, you you inspire me. You're my hero. (laughs) Uh, You're amazing. Okay. Now is the portion of the show where I just changed gears just a little bit to ask a couple fun get to know you questions before we go. So Amy, are you ready for the get to know you round? Yes. Okay. What part of a kid's movie or like entire kid's movie as a kid just completely scarred you? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wizard of Oz, those (laughs) freaky monkeys. Yes. They're so scary. Oh Oh, yeah. And when she looked in the like crystal ball, about the original, like original, you know, and, and she's like got that green face and she's all like, Ooh. 
Lord Jesus, that scared me so bad. I would like room <laughs> and like, oh, oh, that was bad. Yes. <laughs> of course, uh, fast forward through that part. Actually, we had a beta player. I had it on beta. So uh, all the millennials listening are like, what's beta? Um, it was this <laughs> It was this thing before VHSs. <laughs> it was Sony thought it was going to be awesome. <laughs> and it was not. Um, okay. What is something that I would never guess about you? Hmm. Well, I don't know, but this is kind of what a lot of people don't know. I used to be a DJ on a radio station. For really? A brief little stint in time. Yes. When I was 18. I love it. Did you have a DJ name? So I did not have a DJ name, but this was really back in the day where you actually had to put the needle on the thing. Yep. And I... I was in a Christian radio station at a time slot where I don't think anybody listened to it. So I was the <laughs> only person there. And I remember I would have to put on Dallas Homes and Praise, this long song called I'll Rise Again if I ever had to go to the bathroom. So I'd have enough time <laughs> to go to the bathroom and get back. Yeah. That is fantastic. That's a great little piece of trivia. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Okay. What would you do differently if you knew that no one was judging you? Oh, oh, I know what I would do. I so know what I would do if I could, if I could get away with it. I kind of like edgy, weird hair. Maybe it goes back to the eighties. I like it. My hair would be probably pink, which I is like red it. right now edging toward it, but I would go pink and I might even shave a little strip or something weird right there. I love it. You should totally do it. I mean, I can't, I have a board of directors that might absolutely just flip out. If I did that, you're the CEO. <laughs> it's totally fine. You just be like, guys, it's, it's 2021. At this point, yo, YOLO. Okay. YOLO. YOLO. Okay. All right. Do y'all know what I've been through? I'm cutting my hair. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying you should totally do it. Exactly. I am in support, Amy. Okay. Good. Okay. I'm telling them. <laughs> Molly said. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can just blame me. Tell them to call me. Send me an email. It's fine. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night, rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, Chick-fil-A. Three-piece tender. Chick-fil-A. They're holy. That's like blessed food. It is so blessed. I would do Chick-fil-A every night. Thank you. Thank you. It is. I always tell them like the calories don't count because it's yeah. blessed chicken. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. That is so fantastic. Okay. What song do you have to sing along with every time you hear it? All of them? <laughs> Like, is there a song that just like it comes on and you're like, oh, 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 that's my jam right here. Uh, I, I kind of have a thing for 80s rock music. I like it. So, yeah, anything. Honestly, I, I really like to sing. I, OK, I grew up in the days of Amy Grant, Father's Eyes, and every girl my age wanted to be Amy Grant. Oh, yeah. I seriously, as a little girl, wanted to be a singer. Yeah. So bad when I grew up, but I can't sing. Yeah. So I see details to everything like <laughs> privately. I had um, Amy Grant's uh, cassettes as a kid. Totally. Totally. Yep. Love me some Amy, Amy Grant. Okay. Yep. And then this is my last question. It's the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? I, the first word that came to my mind was happiness. Mm. And it sounds kind of shallow, but no. Oh my gosh. When you don't have purpose, like that's boring. That's not fun. Yeah. But that brings joy. Like you have joy and happiness when you're doing something with a purpose. Mm. 
Amy, that's so good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You are just uh, an incredible inspiration. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. And thank you for the joy that you brought to my day and to the um, the days that I know that you bring joy to everyone else. Oh, thank you. It was an absolute honor. And I'm so glad I got to be here. Thank you. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.